we've been in this series called Wrestling with Love. And to put it simply, it's just a, uh, wrestling with love is a way for us to package this series of what does it mean to actually bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is love that displays itself in these different things. Because here's what we know. It's easy to love people who look like us, vote like us, talk like us. But it's really, really difficult to love people who are different from us. The problem with that is that you at some time are different than other people. And so not only are other people hard to love, you're hard to love too. And I'm hard to love as well. And so this whole idea of what does it mean to love well, you don't even have to be a Christian to actually have this deep down desire to say, I want to be a person who understands what it means to love better. And what we're doing through this series is we're taking a biblical perspective, maybe a scriptural perspective, and what would it look like for those of us who follow Christ to actually be committed to growing in love? How do we get there? What kind of information informs that perspective? And that's what this has been for these past five weeks. Today, we're going to be talking about this subject of gentleness. And uh, before we jump into that, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible, a copy of your Bible, whatever you have on your app. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. And so go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you need a, if you want to go old school and you want to open up a paper one, you should find one, not in the pew. I said that last time. I said, find it in the pew in front of you. My name is you know, Pastor Phil, oh, brother, and you know, my name is, uh, you can find it in the, in the folding chair in front of you. So um, if you're not there, uh, that's okay. You can also go inside of each and every one of your programs. We'll have the main scripture, and then we'll also have it on the screens, so you literally cannot get away from scripture today, and that's the point. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 23, let's just jump right in. It says this. Uh, we've been reading this over the past five weeks, and so um, here it goes. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, um, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, listening to Nickelback, and other sins like these. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't in there. I was just throwing that in. <laughs> if you like Nickelback, I'm sorry. For you. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is what we're looking at. Love, joy, peace, patience. Now, some of you who have been with us, we, we skip kind, uh, kindness. or Well, we had kindness, but there's goodness, and then there's faithfulness. We skip faithfulness today because we're going to talk about it together with self-control next week. Um, but there's then gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. So this is our passage for today. Well, before we jump in, let me just pray. God, I, um, I would hope that in these next few moments, that as I talk about a subject that really our culture, and I, I would just even say human culture in general over time, doesn't really, really, on the populace, celebrate. But any time 
this characteristic of your love is shown in history. And I believe we'll see this today. It has revolutionized the world. And that's because your love has the power to not make things better, but to change things. And so change our hearts, change our minds, as we not only learn about what your love looks like, but we begin to put our trust and our belief in it as truth for our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. So what we just read, if for some reason you are, again, just joining us, I just want to catch us all up and and not assuming everyone remembers what we talk about. This list is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Now, many of us are very familiar with the term fruit, right? Because every time we go to the grocery store, uh, for for some of you, it's just on your list. It's bananas, right? Bananas is a fruit. Strawberry is a fruit. Oranges is a fruit. What is another fruit? Apples. Pears, another fruit. Pineapples. Okay, who likes fruit? Right? Well, I love watermelon. Is watermelon a fruit? Yeah. I love uh, summer. Come on, baby. Watermelon. I'm excited about that. Now, how many of you, uh, there are some fruits that when you go in the store, you look at and you're like, what is that? <laughs> or, or, or is there some fruits that you know you don't like, that you don't prefer? In fact, there are some fruits that maybe are less common. I don't know if you know this, but how many of you uh, know that figs are a fruit, right? How many of you buy figs on a regular basis, right? Nobody, right? <laughs> no, and fig newtons don't count. <laughs> um, it's like saying, I eat tomatoes, I like ketchup, okay? It just doesn't, doesn't work. Does anybody buy dates? That sounds a little weird, sorry. <laughs> eHarmony. No, I'm teasing. How about pomegranates? Pomegranates? Yeah. Yeah, really? <laughs> I, I literally have no, never heard anyone say, you know what, I'm in the mood for a pomegranate right now. I, I, okay, hey, more power to you. Uh, you like that stuff. Well, the reason why I ask this question is because there are some fruits that are more desired than others, like literal fruits. And that's true about the fruit of the Spirit. All of us want love, joy, and peace. All of us, though sometimes we don't live it out, we we can agree mentally and even emotionally that we want patience, right? But the fruit we're talking about today, gentleness is not one of those fruits that any of us think much about. In fact, gentleness kind kind of really reminds us of this picture right? That's gentleness. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. No, I'm going to take off my shoes, right? That's what we think of. We think of what? Mr. Rogers. Because in the culture we live in, gentleness is pictured, uh, and this is not true for everything. I'm, I'm making a general statement to communicate something. So if you're someone who gets stuck on generalities, then, you know, Plug your ears. I'm going to make this statement. But in general, our our culture looks at uh, gentleness as something that is passive or a gentleness is overly submissive. Or when I say that person is, they're really gentle. That's Minnesota nice for saying they're wimpy, right? Because that's what we say. Or someone who gets walked on over the time. Well, that person, they're just such a, a gentle person. And all of us want Love, joy, peace, but gentleness is just something that 
I, I don't know, in our culture, we don't celebrate, and, which is why nobody describes themselves as gentle on a job description. People use words like motivated, ambitious, go-getter. Very few people describe themselves as gentle. The truth is that our culture doesn't really strive for gentleness, does it? Because it has taught most of us to immediately associate it with weak or wimpy. In fact, uh, as we look at these soccer games out here, or we think about coach and sports in general, no coach ever says, I want you to get out there and be as gentle as you can be. I want you to get after their quarterback, and I really want you to nurture him. <laughs> I just, just don't say that. I, I just said no one ever. Ladies, any ladies out there looking for someone tall, dark, and docile, right? <laughs> yeah, we got one that really likes that description. I think we have really misunderstood what gentleness is really about. Gentleness does not mean that you are a naturally passive person. There are some people who have a gentle or a laid-back passive temperament, but that is not where gentleness comes from. Gentleness comes from God. What we confuse as gentleness is just your Myers-Briggs, okay? So there's a difference. <laughs> there's a difference. So what does gentleness mean in this verse that we just read? Now, before we take some time to dive into maybe the scriptural implications and maybe kind of dig down deep into a little bit. Uh, I found this video, and I think it's a really great example of what it looks like to know and believe in gentleness as described as a fruit of the Spirit. So check this video out, and then we'll be back. This was the home of Martin Luther King Jr. and his young family. Uh, from 1954 until 1960. Martin Luther King pretty much said you had to do two things in order to be free. You have to forgive everybody for everything they've ever done to you, and number two, you have to lose your fear of death. He was over at Ralph Abernathy's church. He'd taken up a collection the night the house was bombed. Mary Lucy Williams and Mrs. King were in the living room the baby Yolanda was in the master bedroom sleeping, and all of a sudden Mrs. King hears a noise out front, so they ran down the hallway. That blast went off seconds later, and Dr. King said he didn't take a full breath from the time he left that church and got here and found out that his family was not hurt. But in the meantime, three to 500 angry black people are here. They have guns and knives and sticks and hoes and shovels and pitchforks. Amid that angry crowd that could have exploded any minute, this young preacher who was a very, very special human being came home. And it didn't take him any words to calm those people down. All he did was raise his hand, and it was kind of like, peace be still. Told his people to go home. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword and we have to love our white brothers and sisters even though they're not loving us back. Go home, he said, God will take care of us. And that's exactly what the people did. Martin uh, asked us to be calm in the midst of uh, all of the turmoil that was going on. 
That was one of the greatest opportunities that he took advantage of. Tell your people not to flare up. Don't fight. We're all right. My family is not hurt. Go on home. And people did. Obviously, uh, 1956 wasn't a time where people were holding their phones up and recording speeches. And so while we don't have an exact transcript of what exactly Martin Luther King said as a 27-year-old, some of you are uh, in your mid-20s and you feel like you can't do anything great. Might I remind you, Martin Luther King was 27, okay? Okay. Uh, the people who have recounted what was said on those steps of his bombed home, um, if you do your research, you'll find that the accounts all line up so that the message sounded something like this. If you have weapons, take them home. If you do not have them, please do not seek them. He who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. We cannot solve this problem through violence. We must meet violence with nonviolence. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. The display of gentleness in this instance was in no way weak or passive. This is because gentleness is an expression of love modeled by Jesus. Lest we put our hope in Human heroes like Martin Luther King, let's not be too forgetful that people who seem larger than life, even like Martin Luther King, understood who they were in light of who Jesus was. They got their strength to be gentle from Jesus. Why? Because gentleness is an expression of love modeled by Jesus. Gentleness actually says, I, uh, gentleness says that I actually have a lot of strength and I actually have a lot of position and I could get my way if I wanted to, but I would rather make a difference than make a point. It's always love that motivates that kind of decision. Paul, in trying to encapsulate to a church in the city of Philippi, what it means to think like Jesus said this in Philippians chapter 2. You must have the same attitude or mind that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Gentleness is actually an expression of love where I lay down my rights. Even when and especially when I have been wrong. Because even though I have the strength to get my own way and to make my point, and if I made my point, I would be right. 
I'm going to use my strength instead, not to make a point, but to make a difference. Do you see the difference? Jesus was in the right, and he had been wronged. And instead of coming into the world to use his strength and might to punish and get his way, make a point about how right he was, he leveraged his divine strength instead to make a difference in the world. So, (laughs) if that doesn't convince you that gentleness is an expression of the love that Jesus Christ displayed, I don't know what I could do to help you, but if for some reason, at least cognitively, if not deep down in your heart, you go, yeah, that love, That gentleman, that's something I want to grow in. You know what? Yeah, I want to look more like Jesus. The question then is how then we, how do we grow in this gentleness? Well, I think the scriptures is pretty clear that gentleness is developed through humility. Uh, This passage in Philippians talks about it. But in fact, if you look at the word gentleness, it comes from this derivative uh, Greek word, praos, and a lot of times when you read the word uh, humility, it's this word praeotus pre, pre, or something like that. I'm not a Greek person, but it, it has this, they come from the same root word, humility, gentleness, and meekness. Sometimes we hear this in the scripture. The reason so many of us struggle with gentleness in our lives is because deep down, let's just be honest, I struggle. I struggle with pride. And as a result, we have a hardened heart. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, when I first heard that uh, some of you saw the parking, I found out Monday that this was going to be happening this weekend. And the first thing that came into my mind, I'm like, how are we going to reserve parking? How are we going to make sure we get what we, like, signed up for, right? Like, how are we going to? And I, it, and I was because because why? It's about us and not about me and, and, and you know, me, me. And, and <laughs> like, it was tough. And I freaked out. Like, some of you, like, got to hear the email fill and the video fill of, like, hey, we get the opportunity to walk around. <laughs> On Monday morning, I was like, screw walking around. You walk around. You know? Uh, okay, and just be honest. Like, but I, I hope the Holy Spirit has been working in my life to get to where I'm at. You just don't, you see the highlight reels. You don't see everything. But I want to let you know, like, I struggle with pride. I struggle with the desire to get my own. But you know why it's so difficult to admit when we're wrong? It's pride. Do you know what's the reason why we hold grudges in our lives? Yes, it's pride. You know why we don't allow people to speak into our lives? Pride. You know why it's so difficult for us sometimes to change when we know we should? Yeah, pride. And here's the dirty little secret about pride. It not only keeps us, for, keeps us from asking for help and forgiveness, but the dirty little secret about pride is this. It actually blinds us to our own faults. It makes us say things like, 
I don't have a problem. You have a problem, right? As a matter of fact, you can hardly find the word gentleness in the New Testament without finding the word humility closely behind it. Because the pathway to gentleness, to strength under control, that's another way to describe gentleness, is strength under control. It's developed through humility. Paul was writing this, uh, this letter and, and, and trying to describe how believers should conduct themselves, people who believe in Jesus Christ as the, not only the, the model for their life, but the, the person they submit to as their master and savior. And he says this in Titus 3 too, believers must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they must, they, instead they should be what? Gentle, thank you. And show true what? Humility to those who show it back. To those who are amicably, you know, predisposition. We should show it to who? Everyone. Okay, I'm not like super smart. I didn't score really high on the SATs on the English side of things. Uh, The last time I checked, everyone meant like everyone, right? When I think about Jesus and I think about his teachings, I don't know if, if you've ever, ever looked at Jesus' teachings. In fact, if you've never read of any of Jesus' teachings, go to Matthew chapter 5 and read his Sermon on the Mount. In fact, in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, in verse 5, he says this, God blesses those who are humble. This is that Greek word there that can be either translated meek, even gentle. For they will what? Inherit the whole earth. Okay, I think sometimes we could be so used to like the craziness that Jesus like proposes that sometimes we read this and we're like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> Humble, I get the whole earth. Do you, this is a deal. Like last time I checked, in Jesus' culture, when we still think the same way, the strongest and the most successful and the most powerful and the smartest and the most athletic and the wealthiest were, were the ones who ruled the earth. You didn't rule the earth because you were humble. And Jesus comes along and he flips the script and he says, <laughs> guess who gets the whole earth? The humble and the, and the gentle. They will inherit the earth. Like, think about that. Seriously. My ability to show strength under control in times of trial. Not through grasping at my rights, but letting them go so that things could be better is actually how I get what all of humankind has tried to possess in all their striving and trying, the world, it's a pretty good deal. What if you believed what Jesus said is true? How would you live? And that's the big question, isn't it? Who gets the earth? Who gets to rule this place someday? (laughs) 
I mean, nobody was ever arguing over the planet Pluto. Pluto sitting out there with this little identity crisis. Is it a planet? No, it's a dwarf planet. No, it's just a frozen solid rock. Right? Who gets the earth? The wealthy? The intellectuals? The powerful? Those who dominate and step in everyone else? Those who have grit? Jesus says that the earth belongs to the humble. That's like saying the Super Bowl trophy goes to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Sorry, Browns fans, my bad. Come on now, two years in a row? Seriously. But the kingdom of Jesus is a countercultural kingdom, and its message is subversive to the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom even of our hearts. And in this world, the strongest get their way and they win the world through their might and through their strength and through their power. But Jesus says, we will win the war for this planet, if you could even call it a war, when we become a movement of gentleness. Sounds so weird. But if you think about it, it doesn't. And here's the thing. We can't just pray for humility and gentleness. You should God, give me humility, give me gentleness. But gentleness is a fruit, and it's a way of living that gets developed and cultivated. Now, I know it seems like I repeat this every week, but the most important thing to remember regarding how gentleness is developed, as with any of these fruit of the Spirit, is that it is developed in our lives not so much as a result of effort, but of connection. Connection to Jesus. No matter how much hard we try to deny it, it's not in our nature to be people who are selfless and forgiving, okay? No matter how much we deny it, it's not in our nature. It's also not in our nature to be people who are not vengeful or demanding of fairness when we are being mistreated. In fact, you can see these, you can see this in toddlers. You can see this in kids. They don't have to be treated, they don't have to be taught how to not be vengeful. Okay? I watch kids all the time. Little kid takes toy from other kid. Other kid smacks kid. Who taught them that? Nobody. It's in there already. You just get older and you learn that you shouldn't do that if you want to keep your job, right? That's just, you know, oh, you took the last donut in the office. You're fired. Okay, that just doesn't work. So it's in us, okay? It's in us. And so if the bad news is that we cannot produce gentleness with consistency on our own, there has to be some good news, right? And there is. Galatians 5, 16 says this, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. As a result, then, <laughs> you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Have you thought about the remedy to a life filled with sin and filled with incongruency with God's standards as a one that is first aligned with this idea, let your life be guided by God's spirit? I think even in the church, sometimes we don't admit this. We say, don't be sinful, stop sinning. Do this, and we don't say, believe this, 
submit to this. I wonder if we would grow in gentleness, not by what we do, but by submitting our lives to Jesus and living by his spirit. In fact, this is how we grow in gentleness. We grow in gentleness when we submit our lives to Jesus and live by his spirit. Okay, this is it's not rocket scientist, but uh, science, and I know I've said this before, but we need to hear this. I, I need to hear this, okay? Because it's, it's so hard. Does, does anyone, isn't it hard? Is it just me? Like, are, is everyone here pretty gentle? Uh, okay, I, I, I'm not. Totally. That's what happens when you're sarcastic, by the way. If, you know, sarcasm is kind of like, <laughs> I'll just say this on my behalf. I'm not speaking for all people who are sarcastic. But sarcasm is kind of like the way we placate the reality that we're really judgmental and harsh people. <laughs> so we're just like, hey, sarcastic comment, <laughs> and then we laugh, and then we feel like it's okay. Not everyone is, but. But here's a question, and as we kind of wrap up, uh, have you placed your trust in Jesus? Like, like really, have you? Place Jesus in your life as, 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 as the master and the savior of your life. Like you, you earnestly desire, like Jesus, like you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, good morning, Jesus. I need you. Like, and maybe that sounds super spiritual to you, but listen, like, just pause for a second and maybe that should be like the first thing you do. Like when you wake up, maybe we should be people who go, Jesus, I want some bacon. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Maybe we should say hello. I don't know. Just, just. That wasn't in my notes. Just, whatever. We do not bear fruit because we go to church, or because we believe in heaven and hell. We bear fruit when we have been born again, and have God's Spirit living in us as a result of choosing to increasingly submit all of life to Christ as master and savior day after 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 day do you get the point after day after day after day One Bible commentator who did extensive work on Jesus' teaching around this subject of gentleness and humility has this to say about the warning signs of living a life in the flesh instead of the spirit. And I'll just close on this. I thought these were just really great things. I've read this before, by the way. So somebody like, I think you said this list before. I was like, yeah, I'm going to read it again because I know some of you and you didn't listen the first time. So I'm just going to read it again. I'm teasing. Not really. Of course, see there's sarcasm, right? See, that's there you go. Oh, man, be gentle, Phil. This is what he has to say. Ken Hughes in his uh, commentary says this, of course, no one perfectly manifests gentleness in his or her life. No one is so strong that his or her only response is love. No one totally escapes pride and self. Nevertheless, Jesus' warnings are clear, and he gives these lists of things to look for. He says, harshness. If you are mean in your treatment of others, if there is an absence of gentleness in your treatment of others, you might be lack of gentleness. And it says grasping. If you make sure that you always get yours first, if 
Numero uno is the, I can't believe he puts that in there. Numero uno is the subtle driving force in your life. If you care little about how much your actions affect others, you might be lacking in gentleness. Vengeful, if you are known as someone never to cross, if you always get your pound of flesh, you may be in need of some gentleness. Uncontrolled, if rage fills your soul so that life is a series of explosions occasioned by the fools who happen to pass by your life, you may be in need of some gentleness. He goes on and says, again, this is not to suggest that you're not a Christian if you fall into these sins, but rather to point out that if they are a part of your persona, if you are a self-satisfied Christian who thinks that the lack of gentleness and meekness is just you or, and people will just have to get used to it, if you are not repentant, then you are probably not a Christian. Don't get mad at me. He, this is what he said. Okay. He goes on. Jesus' word are not demanding perfection. The point is, however, that if a gentle, meek spirit is at least, is not at least imperfectly present in your life. I'll read that again. That's just point. That's really good. The point is, however, that if a gentle, meek spirit is, at, is not at least imperfectly present in your life, if it is not incipient and growing, you may very well not have the smile of Christ, which is everything. So, what do we do <laughs> with a message like this? Right? It's like, beat me up, Phil. You are definitely not being gentle today. Even as I like say these words, I go, whoa, man, that's that's hard. Like, how do we even how do we even begin to move forward? Like, I, I, I know maybe, maybe you're like me. You're you're entirely pragmatic because uh, the concept sounds great. Uh, believe in Jesus and trust in Him and know that He was you know generous and blah blah blah. blah. But at the end of the day, you have to live with the fact that you still get angry and you still deal with feelings of. Oh, get in my way in this pride. Like, what do you do? I just, I don't know about you, but it's just overwhelming for me. And, and so the thing that actually keeps me from pursuing God's fruit in my life, pursuing even cultivating this gentleness by trusting in his spirit, the thing that gets in the way often is this fear or overwhelming weight that it just cannot be done. What do you do? Jesus, um, I think has some really good words for us. Because here's the thing. You can't do it. <laughs> I, I can't do it. In fact, what I can do is prove on a consistent basis that I am not gentle. But if I want to win this forward pursuit of living life like Jesus, this is what I have to trust. And this is what Jesus says. 
And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Oh, Jesus, would you teach me and teach me quick so that my inability to show gentleness does not bring ruin to the relationships of my life. And Jesus says, because <laughs> we can learn from Jesus. Why? Because he says what? I am what? Humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. If you didn't know this, a yoke is a device that holds two or more oxen together while they pull their plow, which is guided by their master. The interesting thing is that an older, more experienced ox would often be yoked to a young rookie to not simply just help the rookie learn what it takes to effectively plow, but it primarily, it was there to teach the young ox how to listen to the direction of the master. And we learn to be meek by being yoked, connected to Christ. As we surrender our lives to his model of humility and gentleness and begin to learn to not only hear the voice of the master but to obey. And this is the fruit of gentleness.